Hello, everybody, and welcome to the People People podcast on customer service, sales, and HR, and their links and uh, similarities and differences. Today, I'm joined by Aaron Eckelt and Andrew Garnick. Um, Aaron, if you could just introduce yourself quickly to the viewers. Yeah, for sure. Hi, hi, everyone. Um, yeah, Aaron Eckelt here. Um, in my in my day job, I work for a company called InMoment. Um, we specialize in uh, improving customer and employee experiences. So work with a lot of, um, you know, really large companies on listening to their customers and uh, trying to make their operations better as a result of what they hear. Thanks, Aaron. Andrew, over to you. Um, hi, everyone. My name is Andrew. Um, um, I originally came to UK 12 years ago from Poland. Um, and ever since I've been working for hospitality um, and in different roles. Um, at the moment, I'm a store manager for Costa Coffee. Um, planning to move to make my move at some point um, into HR. So hopefully oh. that's somewhere down the line. But um, that's where my interest lies. Fabulous. Thank you both for joining. Um, as I said at the beginning, this is about the similarities and differences between sales, customer service, and HR. I'll be speaking from the HR perspective as an HR business partner. And uh, my first question is around um, customers and stakeholders. So as you might be aware, uh, in HR, we have stakeholders, which are effectively our customers. So as an HR business partner in my, my role, what I, what I would consider a stakeholder is anybody from sort of a middle management level up to executive director level. And the service that I provide is that service to the stakeholder being my customer. So I just wanted to talk a, a bit about the, the similarities and differences between customers and stakeholders as you see them. And I'll come to you first, Andrew. What do you see as some of the similarities and differences between customers and stakeholders? Um, well, when, um, when you told me what is going to be the topic of our conversation today, um, I thought about um, sales, mm -hmm. um, customers, as you mentioned, stakeholders. Um, I've never worked in HR department, so I don't know how it really works from your perspective, Mel. Um, but I think the main thing from where I'm standing is um, that we need to influence people. Um, I think that's the biggest similarity, that um, we work with emotions and we work with human beings and everything that human being involves. Um, mm -hmm. I think being able to understand your customer and their needs, mm -hmm. um, whatever is the process, is very important. To, um, to analyze their needs, to be able to understand what makes them tick mm -hmm. um, and how can you provide the service, whatever does that service or product that you're going to give them, sell them is. Um, and um, I think it's based on emotions Mm. more than, than the process, um, that uh, what we do um, is based on soft skills very often. Um, so it's, it's not exactly tangible. It's not something you can put your finger on. Mm -hmm. um, it's how you make people feel, what kind of energy um, you're going to, to sell, you know, at the mm -hmm. end of the day. Absolutely, I agree. Thanks, Andrew. 
Aaron, what's your take on that? Is there any difference between customers and stakeholders or is it just all about feeling like Andrew was saying? Yeah, I think, yeah, Andrew, some really, yeah, 100% some valid points. Um, and I guess, yeah, let me share a few thoughts. Um, stakeholders and HR and customers, um, I'd like to think both are people, again, <laughs> like was said, uh, and, you know, this is the People People podcast, so it makes sense that they are two people. Um, it's funny because, um, like, in our organisation, like one of our marketing leaders, she says that um, customers want three things they want things faster better and cheaper and so when you look at any kind of customer experience and what it boils down to and like if you were to ask customers what do they want you know they would typically say right I want I want a cheaper product you know I want it quicker and but I also want it to be better you know which is which drives a lot of initiatives so I think that that specifically is what customers want I guess in stakeholders in HR I feel like there's potentially a difference in that they want things potentially for different reasons. So it depends on the vision of obviously what you're trying to execute. Right. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you've got executives that are looking to engineer a certain company culture, or maybe, you know, you need to hire or boost retention or, you know, you need to scale. And then because of that, you need to aggressively hire. Mm -hmm. There's certain factors that come into it. Right. Whereas a customer, you know, might just be, they, they kind of touch you on, you know, maybe just one or two touch points, you know, we talk about customer journeys in our business and how, you know, customers come to an organization and they interact across different, you know, touch points. For example, if I'm going to go buy a new car, I might research it online, the company website, I might go to YouTube and watch some reviews. Then eventually I might turn up at the actual dealership and start to have a conversation, you know, and I'm not sure kind of how that works, you know, for, for HR, you know, professionals internally, but I'm guessing that, you know, you, you kind of touch on different journeys, whether it be internal or, or external. So kind of the key difference I might point out is what exactly those journeys look like, um, you know, what conversations happen at what point and what, you know, people are, are ultimately saying. Mm. Um, so, so yeah, I think there are a couple of differences, but still ultimately people that have to be moved to do something. I agree completely. I think at, at the end of the day, we're dealing with people. And I think um, in HR, as well, we, we often refer to our stakeholders as our customers because it is the service that we're providing. And ultimately, uh, like a, a normal customer of, any, of anything, they, they want things faster, they want things better. Um, they want the advice to be foolproof. They mm -hmm. want that service to be dependable and reliable. So that um, if, if we can just, for future reference throughout the rest of the podcast, we can just refer to them as customers, I think. I think. We're, we're safe in doing that. But that sort of moves me on to the next question, which is around how, do, how are you able to demonstrate the value added by the product or service to that customer? Because we know that it's good for them. We know that it's something that they will benefit from, but how do we demonstrate that to them? Andrew, I'll come to you first. I think the question that we need to ask ourselves in here during this conversation is, uh, do customers always know what they want from us? Do they know what product um, they, they want and what product do they need? Yeah. Um, because I think they often don't. Um, they might know what problem they've got, um, but they might be completely lost when it comes to solution because you know, 
on the market, they will find so many different solutions to their problems as well. Mm -hmm. So how do they make informed decision? Um, I think um, the value will be to provide them with information so they can make informed decision. Um, and then going back to where I started that we're dealing with people and their emotions mm -hmm. is how they're going to feel after using our products, our solution. Have we made things better for them? Um, obviously there will, be, um, there will be issues that you can measure in terms of profit, for example. If you, if you simplify the process and then process is taking half the time, half the people, um, you can save money. Mm -hmm. um, but quite often I find it's not just the product, but again, going to the emotion, are you happier now? Are you in a better place, yeah. you know? So I think um, the, how we measure that value is by feedback, um, by repeated business. You know, when people receive something good that made them feel good, that put them in a better place, they will come back for more of it. Um, so I think that's, that's the most valuable feedback for us here. I agree completely on the feedback front. Um, as HR professionals, our reputation is everything because um, we, we work in such an autonomous way most of the time that it's only through the feedback of our customers or our stakeholders um, that we're able to gauge how well we're doing in any given area. Um, but Aaron, I'm gonna throw the same question to you around how are you able to evidence that um, value added to the customer? So let, let me make sure I'm understanding the question properly. So how to evidence that that we're adding value from a product to the customer and the customer knows that, you know, the, the product is a value to them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, fine. So yeah, I guess, I mean, it is, it's about problems, right? Because people have problems of whatever kind, you know, and, and it depends on what kind of solution you're trying to solve. So, you know, in, in my field, for example, customers come to us when they have a bunch of data which a lot of organizations do now but they don't understand what that data means and what it's actually telling them right but and that is a pretty typically an expensive problem to have um and then you know how do we evidence that well you know you actually start to look at you know what is the current state of where you know you know where the company is at what they're doing what their processes are you know, they might be losing customers or they might be, you know, gaining customers, um, but then actually deciding, okay, this is where you're at right now. And this is where you're trying to get to. And then I guess understanding and measuring what the difference is, you know, mm -hmm. between the, the for and after, and then obviously showing that as a result, right? So, you know, say for example, you've got a company where um, they where they have, you know, you bring out a new product and there's an issue with it. For example, um, you get a lot of calls to your customer service center asking about um, how to solve a particular problem. And because of that, your call center is just ramo with calls. Mm -hmm. So what you might want to do in that case is, you know, once you actually start to look at what customers are saying and their feedback, for example, you, you can actually then look at, okay, you know, what kind of solutions can we put in place that 
give customers answers to their own questions um yeah and and so yeah then as a result of that you know like we had an example where a customer was able to actually do that and you know listen to feedback and implement that change and as a result save literally hundreds of thousands of dollars uh, to their you know in in kind of call time to their contact center so i guess when we're looking at you know how do we evidence it and i'd call it roi to, to a customer is they then need to clearly understand okay we had this problem before you know we've put in this solution and because of that we're now at this future state that you know like andrew said is better than where we were before yeah absolutely it's so key that that point that you made just at the end there that um the customer is able to get to a point where they understand the product or the service so well that they're able to almost find their own solutions. Um, and that's a big part of what we do in HR as well is upskilling so, so that we're not called on every five minutes when something goes wrong and that manager, whoever it is, can answer their own questions. Um, but sort of following on from Andrew's point around uh, you're dealing with people at the end of the day. In HR and in customer service and in sales, you have to establish that sort of that trust really early on and really, really, really quickly, don't you? And, and, and part of that is down to the reputation of yourself as an individual or the product or the service that you're providing, but how much of that is under our control and what can we do to establish that trust so that that customer sees us as the expert in that area? Aaron, I'll come to you first on that one. Uh, yeah. Um... I think it's give away a lot for free, if that makes <laughs> sense. So, so, and I look at this in terms of, um, I guess, from a customer perspective of things that, you know, I'm a customer, I think we're all customers that buy things. And especially kind of in the, in the business world, oftentimes when we buy, you know, services, especially we buy them from experts because they're experts, right? They probably taught us about something, and helped us to solve a problem before, you know, we've actually either known it's there or, or they've given us kind of something valuable. But I guess my my advice would be, you know, make yourself visible, um, give away as much information, knowledge as you can. Um, because ultimately when someone then thinks about how to solve a particular problem or, or issue or kind of area, they will think of you uh, and top of mind. And they'll also then trust what, what you have to say. So, um, I guess the term thought leadership comes to mind, mm -hmm. which is probably why we're, you know, talking on and jumping on this podcast is because, you know, there's value that can, can be gained. So I think, yeah, thought leadership, I think is key. Um, and it's almost about, it's almost a question around for kind of personal brand, you yeah. almost say, right. And, you know, you might have that, that might not just be a thing on LinkedIn, for example, but also <laughs> internally, you know, you're, you're going to be known for certain things and you know we all think we all have people in our organization who we know okay if i have a problem about you know xyz i can go to you know this person mm -hmm. and i think as any kind of professional we want to be the person that sounds like they know what they're talking about and when you know a specific problem area comes up that we solve that we can solve that we do that um and i guess i'll just add it's probably worth being intentional about what we know and, and the problems that we do solve and then making that you know relevant and apparent to folks that might need our, our help and services as well yeah i agree thanks erin 
Um, Andrew, what's your take on that? How to establish yourself as an expert very, very quickly? I think it's very interesting what Aaron said that we all want to be people that sound like they know what they're talking about. Um, and I think if we're really being honest with ourselves um, in our lives as professionals, in our private lives, we're all winging it sometimes. Never, know? never, I disagree. No. <laughs> um, you will eventually come to a point where you've got no answer. Yeah. And, and sometimes I'm sure it's like that in HR. Um, the cases can be so complicated and can have so many different layers that it takes time to unpack everything and, and see everything from different angle. And then you have to talk to someone else because you don't have the answer and someone else can see something completely else that you couldn't discover. And employment law is very gray as well. Right, so Every, everything is about best practice and oh, as, as a people's manager, it's a nightmare. <laughs> uh, coming from continental Europe where, you know, everything is written in law. Um, so I think honesty and transparency in everything you do in everything you say, to have the courage to say, I don't know, but I will find out for you. Mm -hmm. um, and I will go back to that emotion um, because people are very quick to judge, you know, and we make our judgment quite often based on first impression. Mm -hmm. That's why it's so important how you look when you go to the office, when you're going to meet your customer, yeah. um, depending obviously on, on the industry. Um, but that first impression is so important because people judge you so quickly based on, you can't even, you haven't even opened your mouth yet. And you know there is already beginning of the judgment about you and your service that you're about to provide. Um, so the body language is very important. Um, but I think the honesty and transparency and almost like having the heart on your sleeve so mm -hmm. people can read you really easily. The worst thing, especially nowadays, I think the worst thing that can happen is if you start from the contract that's got 20 pages and no one can understand, to be able to simplify everything. Mm -hmm. um, and that, you know, I've seen adverts of um, insurance company that their main selling point is that people can understand what, what the contract says, that what is being said in the simple terms is actually what is in that 20 pages long contract. Yeah. Um, I think that's, that's really, really important that people can understand what we're talking about, um, that is accessible to them and that there is nothing else behind us um, that, you know, what's, what they get is in front of their eyes all the time. Yeah, I agree. What you see is what you get. I think it's, it, it brings me to another question, which I hadn't anticipated. So I'm going to throw you guys a bit of a curveball here, actually. Um, but it's around the fact that when you have that openness, that transparency, a lot of times that comes with a certain amount of vulnerability. Which, oh, is, which is just a, a horrible word for people in, in sort of customer facing positions, isn't it? You never ever want to look vulnerable. So how can we as um, 
people who are offering a service or a product to our customers sort of display that vulnerability without necessarily being exposed or, or putting ourselves in a position of detriment. I'll come to you, Aaron, on that one. I feel like Andrew was like had it on the tip okay, of his tongue. So let me fun. let me what do you think? <laughs> it was like ah I wanted I wanted to turn that uh, that that ball and uh, throw it at Mel because I know you came here to <laughs> ask questions, but um why would you say that, Mel? That um the last thing we want is to be vulnerable. No, I'm just speaking in generalizations in terms mm. of especially when things go wrong, like Aaron was talking about. <clears throat> Um, if you release something and it goes horribly, horribly wrong, the last thing any sort of organization or company is going to want to do is hold their hands up and say, oh, we got this wrong. Um, because then it sort of opens the window for all the competitors to go, look what Mel did wrong or look what Aaron did wrong. That kind yeah. of and so I... there's this fear in the industry around vulnerability. So I suppose my question is, how do we get over that fear? and get to a point where we can be fully 100% open and honest with our, our customers that we're serving um, and get them to trust us, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. So three years ago, um, I was working, as you know, for Nuffield Health. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, part of uh, my role was at some point uh, to sell gym membership. Mm -hmm. um, now, <laughs> I'm not a very fit person myself. Thank you for drinking water while I was saying I'm not fit. Thank you. <laughs> I'm not either. So it's fine. <laughs> no worries. Um, you know, I'm I'm 14 stones, uh, which I would describe. I'm fat. I know people don't like this word, but um, when customers were coming in, prospects were coming in, um, interested in a gym membership. Um, in most gyms, they would meet super handsome or beautiful girl, man, um, that would be the dream, right? That would be their goal. Mm -hmm. If you will buy this membership and you will exercise for the next year, two or three, you will look like me. Yeah. They were selling that dream. So me, fat person working in a gym, selling gym memberships, um, I chose completely different way. Mm. I shown them that I was vulnerable, you mm. know. I sold the place as the only place so inviting and so safe for everyone that it was the only gym where there could be a fat manager selling gym memberships. It wouldn't <laughs> be allowed nice. because anywhere else because it would be bad for the how, how the company was seen, right? Mm. But not here because that's a safe place. Mm. You can have someone fat selling gym membership. You're welcome. Mm -hmm. Come whoever you are, you know? And it was great opener for a lot of conversations because people, when you show them that you are vulnerable, um, that you're almost out of place, mm. um, they've opened up mm -hmm. and they've been able to tell you what is the real story behind, what is the real goal for them? And sometimes you had the, those really serious conversation, people telling you that, I don't know, they dad passed away because of heart attack, yeah. you know, that, and they don't want to be in the same position. Mm -hmm. It's very difficult to talk about your body, um, your emotions, 
But I think if, um, again, especially as professionals, someone who, who deal with things like that day in, day out, if we can show that we are vulnerable ourselves, mm-hmm. this opens a completely new space where we can develop true relationship with people. Um, and then the process is not just going to be about selling the product to them or, or a gym membership. It will be about improving our lives and, and, and solving the issue. Mm. Um, it's just so much deeper when you've got the courage to be vulnerable and you know, say to people, yeah, that's, that's who I am. Mm-hmm. I've made a mistake on who you are, on your product, on the space around you. That's, that's how I feel. I love that, Andrew. Thank you for sharing that. That's beautiful. Aaron, anything to add to that? Yeah, I don't, I, I don't <laughs> even know. I, you know, I, yeah, no, Andrew, I really appreciate you sharing that story and, and empathize. I think that, I think there's a paradigm shift happening at the moment, and it has been for the last couple of years, where companies previously had just been seen as like monolith corporations, right? And a lot, and a lot are and still are, but now brand values are shifting and people are, think, you know, sustainability is on the rise. And now that's a huge agenda. People, you know, people want to humanize their brands from a, you know, branding perspective, but also as customers, we like brands that have, you know, that make us feel something um, and and empathy and, you know, uh, yeah, empathy is ultimately a feeling. And so, yeah, actually, do you know what? And there's, and there's so much rhetoric, even from leaders now that because of probably podcasts and everyone's, you know, having conversations that, we all recognize that everyone is human. We all make mistakes at the end of the day. And, you know, customer service professionals, you know, are no different. HR professionals are no different. Um, and I think from probably a HR perspective, maybe I'm just throwing about out here, but um, I feel like if, if we can create organizations that allow people to fail a little bit mm-hmm. and to not be afraid of failing, then they're probably going to be better and more productive because if you can't fail, you can't try anything. Um, you can't try anything new. And recently I was reading um, the, I was reading the the core values uh, on the jobs board at Netflix, which is a bit random. I'm not even looking for a job there, but I saw a video where this lady had, had um, done an actual study at Netflix about their customer, their company culture. Mm. And they have a whole page document of different values. And, um, you know, one of them, one of the values is that they, they give feedback to one another at every level, extremely openly, like, you'll have leaders just giving feedback openly in a meeting in front of people, constructive or, or, you know, like, or constructive feedback is the negative one, right? So like positive feedback or constructive <laughs> feedback. Um, but yeah, that, that, you know, and they just let people go who don't, you know, who they have a test where, you know, if someone wants to know if their job is secure, they can just go to their manager and say, hey, you know, if I were to leave tomorrow, would you fight to keep me? And if the answer is no, then they get let go. Mm. But with like a really nice, um, really nice uh, severance package. So yeah. so they ha- I think they have like four months or something to like find another job full pay. But the point is that like what that organization has done is they've engineered a culture where people are allowed to fail, feedback is open. And because of that, people can be vulnerable, but they can also do their best work because they're not afraid, right? 
And so I think that if we really want to get to a state of product of high productivity, you know, and incredibly, incredibly inclusive, you know, cultures, both for employees and customers, we need to allow people to be human, but also, you know, give them the support that they need to, to obviously do well. Because, yeah, of course, we don't want like PR stunts. We don't want, you know, <laughs> we don't want things to go, you know, epically wrong. But, you know, we can we just have to have a little bit of leeway because, yeah. you know, that's what we're organizations made up of people at the end of the day. It's right. There, well, and there is, I think um, when things are too ideal, um, people feel that they are being, that something is being sold to them. Yeah. That, you know, that they're being tricked. It doesn't because, feel genuine anymore, does it? Yeah, absolutely. And, and you're right, Aaron, that there is sort of a trend in, in the industry at the moment, particularly within HR around this restorative just culture, which is based on restorative um restorative justice in the justice system so it's 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 focused more on learning outcomes rather than punitive outcomes um within mm -hmm. hr as well so um you could have a case like andrew was saying that's multi multi-layered but once you get to, to the very bottom and the root cause you realize maybe this is a lack of training or maybe this yep. is somebody who, who's been in in the role for 20 years and then this is the way that it was 20 years ago so they're it's still continuing with those behaviors so it's more about an education piece and learning outcomes and things like that. Um, but I want to focus back again on uh, customers. There's, um, and I think I think this sort of motto and this ideal is sort of dying a death at the moment. Correct me if I'm wrong, gentlemen, but that whole um, idea of the customer is always right. The stakeholder <laughs> is always right. Is that accurate? Or is it more a case of, we want the customer to feel that they're always right? which is a bit disingenuous or is it the customer doesn't really know what they want <laughs> what what is your take on that Aaron um oh I was just I was just pointing to kind of put my <laughs> hand up but yeah I mean I think that customers typically go to an organization to solve a problem for them right and I think that smart customers recognize that you know and I guess it depends on the industry and, the, and, you know, whether this is a transactional sale or something a little bit more complex. But I think what most people actually want is they want someone to tell them right from wrong. They want someone to take the pain of indecision and the pain of a wrong outcome away from them. Right. It's why huge organizations, you know, pay for huge consulting houses to charge the millions to solve problems. Right. So I think that is the customer always right? Probably not. Um, but that's why I think it's important to have objective measures of, of, you know, things that are right and wrong as well. I mean, we're in the age of data now as well. So even if someone thinks that they're right, there's probably a lot of data that's going to show them kind of otherwise. So, yeah, but I think what is it, what is more important than being right or wrong is being heard. And being heard, I think, is something that no organization can really get away with not doing, whether it be to their customers or internal internal stakeholders, because regardless of whether they're right or wrong, we need to hear what they're saying um, and understand the reason, the root cause behind what they're saying. And like you said, it might be something as simple as a lack of training, lack mm -hmm. of information for customers, or just a misalignment of expectations. So, you know, we, we just need to understand what the root causes are and not I guess react with judgment but the good news is, is that typically most organizations do have enough data to make good decisions in that regard yeah thanks Aaron Andrew your thoughts on that one 
Um, I think Aaron got it really right. Um, customers um, very often have no idea what they want. Um, I mean, I sell coffee, okay, for a living. And um, when customer comes to a coffee shop, unless they're regular and they always have the usual, they don't know what they want. Um, they will need, they don't even understand really what products we've got on offer very often. You will have to explain it. You will have to point the differences. But, and it can be very lengthy conversation sometimes. Um, and although it can sound like it's life and death decision, what coffee am I going to have? It really is not. Mm. Um, it, the customer journey is usually around five minutes from entering the store, choosing their products, waiting for the pickup, off they go. Um, and then comes feedback, of mm. course, if they've been invited to fill in the survey. Um, and it's very rarely about the coffee. It's very rarely about the product they purchased. Um, they will point out the vibe of the place. They will be saying how friendly customer service was. Um, so what, what was I really selling to them for them five minutes? Was mm. it coffee when that was the point of conversation? Mm-hmm. No, my, my task was to listen to them to find out how their day was and make it better. I've got that five minutes to make their day better. Mm. And that's really the product I'm selling. Unless someone's in rush, it's early in the morning, they just woke up and they need that double espresso (laughs) to help them speed things up. Absolutely. But even then, you've got the time, you've got that 30 seconds while the espresso's extracting to crack a joke and, you know, make their morning better. So they've got, they're feeling more positive. That's, that's what the service is about. That's what customer service is about, isn't it? It's, again, emotions is, is making people feel, feel better. Mm. Um, so that would be my answer. Thank you, Andrew. I think in HR, it's slightly different um, <clears throat> because we, we tend to get a lot of stakeholders or customers who, um, not only believe that they're always right, they know they're always right. Um, and are that, they there? <laughs> uh, sometimes they are, sometimes they aren't. <laughs> it's a bit of a mixed bag, but it, it, that's when sort of your influencing um, comes out to shine and comes into play because it's more around that listening element that you both touched on and making sure that they feel like they've been heard. Um, but at the end of the day, you have to establish that you are the expert in the area. Of, of employment law and um, whatever they Googled may not necessarily be accurate. <laughs> so you do, get, you do get some tough customers, but it is about that sort of human element and being able to relate to a person on a human and in a, on an individual level as well, that will get them to trust you as that expert, that will buy in that loyalty to you um, as, as a person who knows what they're doing. Um, so thanks for your answers on those. Um, I suppose my, my final question around customers is when we're looking to sell a service or a product, is there such a thing as too pushy? Can we be too pushy with people? Um, we've talked a lot about how customers don't often know what they want. Is there such a thing as being too pushy? 
and how do you sort of um, combat that? Um, I'll come to you first, Andrew. I definitely think there is something like Toposhi, but um, I think the root of being Toposhi is um, KPI table for salespeople, is the structure of the, um, the bonus that comes on top of usually lower, sal lower basic salary. You have to tick the boxes. Um, quite often, if you're being audited, for example, um, they will be checking, are you asking correct questions? And very often they will not allow the natural flow of conversation. Mm. It will be ticking boxes exercise. Um, and although the company might see it as um, great customer service, if you ask all those questions, but because it's not natural, customer might feel that you're pushing the product onto them without truly understanding their needs. Um, then going back to coffee, you know, we sell so many different types of coffee. And of course, one is more expensive than another. Of course, the company will love it if I sell them more expensive coffee. Mm. Um, and it's like that in every industry. It's just different products. Um, so absolutely, yes. I think you have to be, um, well, you have to listen to your customer. Um, it all comes back to the needs. Mm -hmm. I think I think that when, if customer comes to you with a real need, you can match the solution. Um, too pushy starts when you're trying to help your customer discover that they've got the need that they weren't aware of, you know? <laughs> Um, because um, there is 20% bonus for you if they will discover that need and hop, I've got solution for you, you know. I think it's very archaic, really. Um, it's very capitalist idea mm. and the world is changing and especially with younger customers now that um, will be for all of us main stakeholders very soon. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's completely different. Um, and um, pushy sales just don't work anymore, I'm mm. afraid. Um, I think people are um, far more aware. They do their research. Um, most of the information is online. Um, and quite often, they, when, they, when they meet you, they already know pretty much everything you are going to tell them anyway. So if it's not real, if it's not about listening to them, it's just not going to work. Mm. Thanks, Andrew. Aaron, what are your thoughts on that one? Yeah, I I agree. I think, yeah, I guess I'll probably say the same answer in a different way, but the, the thought that comes to mind is like, des desperation is not sexy. So, you know, <laughs> no one wants, if someone's like desperate, you know, that's not attractive. And, and I think ultimately you can, yeah, of course you can be too pushy. I think the best salespeople of any kind are people who create an environment that makes it easy for a, a you know, for, for a prospect or a customer to buy some, for a customer to buy something mm -hmm. ultimately. And um, I think that, that when a customer truly feels like you have their best interest at heart, then they are a lot more likely to listen to what you have to say. Um, and at that point, you probably have a relationship where, you know, you, 
it's kind of hard, especially like, you know, Andrew's talking about in a five minute interaction to really care deeply, you know, about an individual customer. But, you know, you want them to be happy and you want them to be fulfilled and have a nice experience like drinking the drink you just made for them um, and giving them the snack that you have. So so I think that you yeah, you ultimately, you know, want kind of want the, the best for them and want to create a situation where they trust you. Um, and then uh, there was a thought that I had, but. It is, it, it is gone so maybe i'll come back to it in my closing statements but no, yeah you can you can definitely you can definitely be too pushy um and I, I wouldn't recommend it and if you're if you're too pushy you're upsetting customer right mm. um if you're if you're not um then you've got a chance to make them happy and happy people spend far more money um because you know they they don't care that much so you can you can have better business if you're making if you focus on making people happy rather than pushing whatever you've got onto them yeah yes i completely agree with that was that your point aaron yeah 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 no that wasn't my point but i think in terms of like a, a way to get there um the phrase detach from the outcome comes to mind and it's hard to do when you are kpi'd right so organizations that are set up that way make that a little bit more difficult but in an ideal world you would actually just detach from the outcome and, um, you know, and just say, you know, it doesn't matter what, you know, the customer buys or doesn't buy, as long as their experience is great, you know, mm -hmm. overall, their, you know, they're probably their customer lifetime value is just going to, you know, go up. So, so it's about, I think when, you know, organizations are a bit too pushy, it's because they have timelines to meet specific goals, but, um, you know, taking the long, the longest, strategic approach um you know you would yeah you want to remove that that feeling of of you know friction so yeah yeah i agree completely i think um in hr it's very much a case of once you've um, effectively saved somebody from themselves um, <laughs> you have that trust for that uh, uh, or that individual has has trust in you as an expert because they can hark back to that and go, oh, actually, Mel gave me this advice, which I didn't agree with at the time, but actually it was the right, the right thing to do. Um, and then in terms of detaching from the outcome, Aaron, that really, that's really, really key as well. Um, and it actually reminded me of what, when I used to do um, HR contracting. And it was very much a case of, um, I would be brought in to solve a particular issue um, mm. in you know, three months, six months, nine months, however long. And I would present a solution at the end of that time. And what the organization chose to do with it was up to them. Mm. I had effectively done what I had been asked to do in, in the best and the quickest and the most efficient way possible. And then it's on you as the, as the customer of that service to decide what you wanna do with it. So I think there are a lot of um, striking similarities and some differences. I'm actually surprised at how many differences there are between HR and customer service, but I think um, th that we have a lot that we can learn from each other. Certainly uh, a lot that HR people can learn from, from customer service and sales experts such as yourselves. Um, on that note, um, I think it's time to wind it up. So I'll come to you, Andrew, first for closing remarks and then Aaron, and then we'll, we'll uh, finish it off. Thanks. Um, oh gosh, how to wrap it up? I think that um, the main takeaway would be that um, customers are changing, that the world around is, around us is changing. 
um, people are far more aware of um, companies and companies tricks and salesmen tricks and they just don't work anymore yeah. and um, we need to be honest open um, we need to listen um, and give people really what they need um, I think that was always the main objective of sales uh, but focus less on marketing um, and more on a true real connection with a human being to see the human being not not just the customer mm -hmm. and focus on them and not our kpis thanks andrew uh aaron over to you yeah thank you uh, yeah i just want to say i appreciate you appreciate you both appreciate mel you uh obviously inviting inviting us onto the podcast um i think that yeah being human centered is very important now and it's becoming even more important and listening to our stakeholders whether it be customers employees um you know outside organizations is becoming ever more critical i think that what is changed what has really changed over the last you know decade or couple of decades is the information asymmetry um that is no longer there like customers you know everyone has all the information that they need at their mm -hmm. fingertips um, I think it's the role of experts now, um, whether it be, and I think this applies to both customers, you know, customers and HR professionals, is to work as a guide and to help, you know, those end end customers to really get the best options for themselves. Because, you know, just like you said with your example, you know, someone might come and think that this is the relevant issue that they've that they've googled or you know i might go to a doctor and say hey you know i googled this symptom but that only shows you always which... cancer when you google a symptom exactly right <laughs> and that just shows you which issue has the highest ranking seo on google so that ultimately is it there is so much data everywhere and so i think that you know if we want to be really effective that we are effectively act as guides and we can do that best when we listen and understand what the people who we're serving are saying so yeah. Thank you, Aaron. And thank you, Andrew. I really appreciate you both joining me on, on this podcast. Thank and thank you to everybody who's watching or listening. Stay tuned for our next pod podcast, which is around BAME and other labels um, and how they make you feel and everything else to do with those particular terminologies. Oh, and Andrew's, or, or Aaron's excited. I feel like, can I like come back for that? Yeah, you want to come back for that one? Just maybe we'll do a number two. And we'll invite you both back. All right. Thanks, gentlemen. See you guys soon. Thank you. Bye. Thank you.